Hey everybody, welcome to the X Report. I'm Raven X and alongside me today, I got Biggie, aka Ethan Tate, aka just hoping that the Titans do right with their draft pick. How you doing today, man? I'm good. And I hope they go corner. I know they've been talking about Elijah Moore, but I really hope they go corner. Yep, that would make a lot of sense because, let's be honest, Josh Reynolds was adequate with the Rams, but he was not going to give you what Corey Davis did, and Corey Davis still wasn't even all that. But you know what? We're going to get to all that good stuff momentarily. Of course, it's draft day. The draft starts in a couple of hours, so, of course, that's always exciting. But before we get to that, it is rare that on draft day something takes up the attention of the draft but weed's coming out of Green Bay, and it is about Aaron Rodgers, who, as reported earlier today by Adam Schefter, is so disgruntled with the Packers that he has told some within the organization that he does not want to nor plan to return to the Packers. This news has been rolling around for the last few hours. Uh, Packers GM Brian Guttenus said, as we've stated since the season ended, we are committed to Aaron in 2021 and beyond. Aaron has been a vital part of our success, and we look forward to competing for another championship with him leading our team. That sounds all good and dandy, but do you think that the Packers have damaged he there in Aaron's rep, relationship past repair, or do you think they can get it worked out? I think this damage beyond repair because over the past I want to say three to four years the relationship between Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers has been fractured I mean it initially started with kind of sort of him being um, at odds with Mike McCarthy thinking that his coaching style his coaching system was outdated then you bring in Matt LaFleur and it's kind of like he he wasn't giving Aaron Rodgers the freedom in the offense that Aaron Rodgers think that he deserved and that he wanted to be able to make certain calls and things of that nature to the point where Aaron Rodgers was just like, I'm going to call whatever players I want regardless, so it don't matter. Right. Like, I honestly don't want me to make audibles, but I'm going to do it anyway because I, I see what you don't see. And now, most recently, given last year, they drafted Jordan Love and Aaron Rodgers pretty much telling everybody, get me some help, give me some more weapons. Because it's like, the only, the only viable wide receiver that we have is Devontae Adams. And in my opinion, all the other receivers that they have, they only look good because their quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. I'd agree with that. So, he was banging the cannon on, give me, at least give me a number two. Right. Give me a number two wide receiver. And then, not only do they not get him a number two wide receiver, but they draft, they go, they trade up to draft a quarterback that, in all honesty, they could have gotten in, probably in the later round anyway, after they got a receiver. Yeah. So, I think it's damaged beyond repair. I'm in agreement with you. Um, 
Especially because, like you said, the issue, Aaron Rodgers' issues with the Packers is not a new thing. Initially, he really wasn't even that big of a fan of the Matt LaFleur hire. Sure, it's worked out, but then again, you're Aaron Rodgers. You're one of the best quarterbacks in the league. You're going to make it work. Devontae Adams is a great, great wide receiver, but I mean, besides that, who else could you say has been dominant? Or at least been really helpful. Alan Lazard is a better blocker, but he's fine because he's there. MVS is all right. Um, Equinemus St. Brown, he has an issue with drops. He has pretty much, like you said, been banging on the table for more help and more control of an offense that he has been a part of since 2005. So almost 16 years and yet gets nothing. And then I think... Like you say, you talked about Jordan Love, which was incredibly disrespectful. But you also got to factor in, they asked this man for to restructure his deal. When you look at it, I understand that some quarterbacks or some players will take to restructure their deal to make their teams better. But if I'm Aaron Rodgers, this is a front office that has consistently disrespected me pretty much drafted my successor and it's coming on the heels of me saying hey I want that security I want you guys to say you're going to commit to me long term and financially back it up and instead they asked him to restructure his deal and I feel like if it was just about money that would be one thing but it seems like it's just a matter of respect and I can understand why Aaron Rodgers does not feel respected and so I can I, I think it's damaged beyond repair. But now from the Packers standpoint, would you trade Aaron? Uh I would, depending on the positioning in which you can trade up to. I understand it in my opinion. If I was in if I could finagle it, I would trade him to the 49ers. Yeah. Because they number three raw pick that's a high enough pick to where you could potentially you could truly draft his successor. Like, I understand, I know they drafted Jordan Love last year, but I don't think Jordan Love is a starting caliber quarterback. It might take him a couple years, but you might be able to draft a Justin Fields or a Mac Jones, a guy that you could probably put in right now coming out of college, and they can produce. They might, they definitely won't be at the production level of Aaron Rodgers, but they could be, they probably will be better than Jordan Love. Uh, but honestly, I think the teams, cause, and the only reason I say the 49ers is they're a team that's already assembled to win right now. The Jaguars, they're a team that's going to be looking for building up in the future. So, you know, they won't look for Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers only has X amount of years left versus drafting a Trevor Lawrence who you could potentially have in your franchise for the next 10 years. The same thing with the Jets. Like, the Jets aren't a playoff contending team if they add Aaron Rodgers. They might make the playoffs just totally because Aaron Rodgers is amazing, but that's it. But they're in the they're in the mind of rebuilding. So this, if they were to do it, if they really wanted to get high up in the draft, the only team I could possibly see maybe it would be the best choice would be the 49ers. So kind of in speaking about the 49ers, um, I would tra- let me backtrack. I would trade him. I would do it. And I think that here are a few reasons why. One, you you're not going to sign him to a contract extension. If you really wanted him to be the long-term answer, you wouldn't have drafted Jordan Love. And because he's already disrespected by that, and then the fact this man put together an MVP season after that and you asked him for, to restructure his deal, that's not going to happen. But look at it like 
he's already you've already pretty much said okay we're going to be moving on from him which he's been pissed off about since the move happened and so that's going to be something that's going to bother him and he's never going to let it go realistically the only way he gets an extension is if they trade Jordan Love and I don't think that that's going to happen and so you look at it like that Two, Aaron Rodgers is getting up there he's closer to 40 and even though he is a terrific player you still have to ask the question of how much longer am I going to have him? And then let's be honest, he's coming off such a great year. You could get quite a bit for him. The 49ers will be a tremendous fit if they were to trade him there because they could get the third overall pick. And sure, you can make the argument that the 49ers pretty much mortgage their future moving up to the uh, third overall pick. But still, they, by getting the third overall pick, the Packers could still trade back and accumulate a lot of picks because a lot of teams still need a quarterback. So if they really do believe in Jordan Love, they can get the third pick and then trade back and then get an even bigger draft haul so they can try remaking this roster. Because let's be honest, you take away Aaron Rodgers, they go from a 13-win team to maybe seven or eight. It's, it's just a fact. And so if I'm the Packers, I know you don't want to lose – I know you don't want to technically be out of a Super Bowl window, but realistically, how many people think the Packers are in line to win a Super Bowl this year or next year? I don't think it happens unless they just blow the draft out of the water. And so because of that, I know that it's not the sexiest or the most fun thing to say, but if I'm the Packers, I would trade them because at least now you can get quite a bit for him. And let's say you don't do it now. What if next year he gets hurt or he doesn't have a great year? You're not going to have as much of a draft haul. Or if you play, you keep him until the end of his contract and you get nothing in return for him. So if I'm the Packers, I would move him. And so one last thing before we move on. Apparently his top three teams are as follows. Potentially the Broncos, Raiders, or 49ers. Of those three, which one do you think would be the best fit for A-Rod? The 49ers, because they're already an established team. They can make a deep run in the playoffs. They have, when healthy, that was the thing last season, all of their key players were injured. But when healthy, you have a dominant defense. You have some young receivers that you can mold and grab with with A-Rod, potentially. And you have, in my opinion, one of the best run games in football. Like, personally, and you can, you might agree, you might not, but the 49ers were supposed to win the Super Bowl against the Chiefs. But the thing that cost them was they stopped running the ball. If they would have killed, because they were getting big plays out of the run game, their whole game, and just out of nowhere, they decided to stop running the ball. And I think that's what cost them the Super Bowl. And you have Raheem Mostert, who's a lightning rod of a running back. He can take you 80 yards in the blink of an eye. So I, I got to go for the 49ers. I think the 49ers would be a good fit as well, especially if they can get everyone back healthy. Plus, it takes him back to the Bay Area, which I feel like he would love. Because let's be honest, who would prefer playing in the cold winter snow everywhere of Green Bay as opposed to starting for the 49ers in the Bay? I mean, let's be honest, just in terms of weather, that's not a conversation. Um... But, yeah, 49ers make a lot of sense, even though I could see the Broncos doing it. Like, we'll, we'll get to it a bit earlier about their quarterback room. But, I mean, still, you could trade. 
you could easily trade Drew Locke to Green Bay, he and Jordan Luck, and have a competition for that spot because apparently a couple years back when Drew Locke was a um, in the draft, the Packers did want to trade up to get him. So they'd be able to get him, find out who the real successor is, and go from there. But if I'm the Broncos, I mean, this is a team that is pretty good. You have a nice run game. Your offensive line is improving. And unlike the Packers, you have multiple receiving weapons, and you have a solid defense. So if I'm the Broncos, I would do whatever. I could to make this deal because I mean no matter what you can say what you want about the AFC but they have to compete with the Chiefs twice a week and I feel like with Aaron Rodgers it gives them a better chance of beating the Chiefs as opposed to Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater but all right let's go ahead and talk some draft prospects draft night which like I said it might be a little bit easy to forget just because everything going on so Devontae Smith considered easily top three wide receivers of this draft class. Some may have him as number one. I mean, he is the reigning Heisman winner. Well, he uh, recently did an interview, and of course, he was asked about his size. He weighs 166 pounds, which is much different than the DKs and the Julios and the A.J. Browns of the world. But Devontae Smith said, we're not bodybuilders. It's football. Do you think that his size will be an issue on the pro level? I don't as far as production. The only thing that I can see being an issue with is staying healthy. Because if you can remember, Deshaun Jackson yeah. is a center field player. And when he's healthy, he's very productive. But over the course of his career, he has a lot of issues and injury concerns. Um, but if he is to remain healthy, you got to think about it. It's a guy in Seattle, this DK Metcalf's t- teammate, that's built very similar in Tyler Lockett. Tyler Lockett is probably, I'm about to look it up, but I'm pretty sure Tyler Lockett in most ways 180 pounds. Yeah, he's not that big, but I'll say he's a bit, he has a bit more to his frame as opposed to Devontae, who's literally just skinny. So I think that him being a bit more muscular helps out a bit. And also because DK is there, he's going to take a less volume of, you know, hits and stuff. Yeah. But I mean, depending on what team he goes to, might be he might so he weighs 180 he's 510 weighs 182 pounds yeah so, so he's slightly bigger than um Devontae, Devontae. but also people fail to realize that Devontae Smith can add weight once he gets drafted right. like who's to say he goes he goes to a team and they put him on a workout regimen and he gains 15 to 20 pounds we hear about it every year with certain athletes where they either lose extreme amounts of weight or they gain extreme amounts of weight during the course of all season. So why what's so hard to believe that he could potentially get drafted by a team and his size increases throughout the course of the all season? Right. And not to mention, let's be honest, pretty much any team that drafts him, especially a team that desperately needs a wide receiver, case in point, the Eagles, they're going to be like, hey, man, we're going to get you in the gym. We're going to get you to gain some weight. No, I highly doubt any team is just going to take him as is and not expect him to gain some weight. So I I don't really think it's going to be that much of an issue as well. I just feel like teams are going to try to work on it as soon as they get there and go from there. But all right, so let's go ahead and move on. It is the year of the sun, and when I say that, I mean there are a lot of juniors or sons of former NFL players in the 2021 NFL draft class. So, 
Of the ones who are available, there's Patrick Sartan, son of Patrick Sartan Sr., who played for the Chiefs. Asante Samuel Jr., who, of course, is the son of Asante Samuel, Pro Bowl corner. Joe Horn's son, J.C. Horn, cornerback. So of these three, I know you're a team that needs a corner. I'm sure you've looked at corners quite a bit. Which one would you say is your favorite, and do you think it's going to be the best long term? I think I would have to go with uh, Patrick Sertain. Just giving, for one, being completely honest, he played in Alabama. And we know that Alabama produces great defensive backs. They produce, uh, they produce um, Lincoln Fitzpatrick, and they produce some solid corners. And I think that he'll, he'll, be, he'll have a head up because he'll have like a China from Nick Saban. And also, I just think giving all of the ones that I've seen, he's been, he looks the most like, like he can make an impact on the next level. I would say Asante Samuel. I think that coming from the pedigree that he did, his dad was in his day a top 15 at worst cornerback. Asante Samuel was the man. And I think that kind of similar to how Devontae Smith has gotten a bit flat for his size, uh, Asante Samuel has too. But one thing that he has is a lot of heart. He never gives up on the play. And despite him being about 5'10", he's been one of the better slot corners in the nation. And so I do think that with that, and then also just having that chip on the shoulder, I think that he's going to long term, I think he's going to wind up being the best one. While Sertan has been good, I mean, you you mentioned past Bama defensive backs, but I mean, for every corner like Marlon Humphrey, there's been like two or three D Milners, and I don't know if you remember who D Milner is, but D. Yeah, he uh he was drafted. I want to say he was drafted first round by the Jets out of Alabama and was a total bust. I want to say that was in 2013. It was bad, and so. The thing about Bama DBs are like it's hit or miss. Like when they're great, they're great, and when they're bad, they're bad. So I think that's something to look out for. And of course, I mean Florida State isn't a team that has, I guess, as high as a defensive back pedigree. The first name that comes to mind is a Jalen Ramsey in terms of in the league now. But I do think that Asante Samuel is the one who I think long term is going to be the one who really can make an impact for whoever he gets drafted to. And if you guys check out the X report, I have my final mock draft, and you see where I think he goes. But all right, same question about quarterbacks. It seems like no matter who you really ask, it has been different answers as to who will be the best quarterback of the class. Skip Bayless said this of Trey Lance. He could be a diamond in a rough man. He could be the star of stars when it's all said and done. Kurt Warner also backed up Trey Lance as saying he was the best quarterback of the class. And of course, Trevor Lawrence He's Trevor Lawrence. Mel Kuyper Jr. said this, Trevor Lawrence's career, when it's all said and done, will probably have a minimum of two to three Super Bowl that he at least plays in. So, of Trevor, of Justin, of Trey, of Mac, or maybe somebody else who isn't even being thought of, who do you think is going to be the best quarterback in the, of the future? I think it's going to be, uh, I definitely think it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. I think he's going to have similarities, similarities to Andrew Luck and where Andrew Luck came into the league. And he was successful very early and throughout the course of his career before his retirement. Um, Trey Lance, he's intriguing. The only reason I can't really go with him is because I've 
read and listen to a couple of things about different about different quarterbacks. One of the things is is for the team that he was playing in, they were in a run heavy offense. Mm-hmm. They he he didn't really have that many passing attempts. Like they said, he only went above twenty like maybe five times in his career. Every game that they played in, they were the they were never the underdog. They were never down. And we all know one of the things that we look for in quarterbacks is being able to be clutch and come up with big and late time moments. And also just the level of competition. Like he never played against NFL any NFL caliber players in his career. So whereas you have Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields, like they played against NFL caliber players. They played against each other's team with multiple NFL caliber players on it. So, I, but for this instance, I got to go Trevor Lawrence. Uh, yeah, I think as of right now, I would say Trevor Lawrence too, if not really for any other reason, but we know where he's going to go. Him and Zach Wilson are pretty much like they're going to go to the Jags and the Jets respectively, and you can kind of go from there as far as how you want to assume the team is going to go. But I think that Trevor Lawrence, I think he's going to be in the best position to succeed because one thing about the Jags is they're not afraid to – bring in talent. Can they keep the talent? No. But they know how to at least to draft some. And so I think that Urban Meyer, because he is a proven winner, and I think because he has experience as a college coach, I think he'll have more patience to really work with um, a player like Trevor Lawrence and try to put him in the best situations to succeed. And I think he's done that at least by bringing in nice players to round out the team. For example, uh, Jihad Ward for the defense, um, Shaquem Griffin to help their cornerbacks, and then Marvin Jones as a wide receiver. So I think the Jags will be in a better position to put Trevor Lawrence in positions to succeed. But um, speaking of quarterbacks uh, and college quarterbacks, I don't know if you watch NFL, if you have NFL Network, or if you watch Path to the Draft, anything like that. But there is an analyst, former scout named Bucky Brooks, who before he said this stupid stuff was my guy. I love book book Bucky. He was my guy. But so following the Ravens trading uh Orlando Brown for the 31st overall pick, he was asked what Baltimore should do with the extra pick. And this is what he said. They could take a collegiate approach to the quarterback position. They cash in on a Justin Fields. One quarterback graduates, the other quarterback steps into the starter's role. Essentially trading up for Justin Fields and then having Lamar leave after his fifth-year option. To that, uh, Lamar responded, Bucky, we can box a little bit. I won't buck. So regardless of how ridiculous and crazy as it would be to assume that the Ravens would just be done with Lamar after this year. Do you think though that the Ravens should potentially be looking to move on from Lamar? Being completely honest and unbiased because I am a Lamar Jackson fan, I think they should be at least considering it because the reality of it is I think that from an offensive standpoint, the um, ceiling of the Ravens with Lamar Jackson, your quarterback, it kind of it could be great if you add weapons, but also I think if you were to add a quarterback that's more a more competent thrower, that ceiling raises significantly. Like Justin Fields, we don't 
we know he was a great thrower in college. We don't know how this is going to translate in the NFL. But let's just say that he he has the arm talent of at least a starting caliber quarterback, a one that can make a lot of the throws. And then you can also still factor in, like, you can run the ball because he runs a 4-3-40. Like, that could bring some – that could put their offense at another level because he can make – all of the throws, some of the throws that Lamar struggles with, but that's where I see it. That's how I feel about it. I'm going to say no. I don't think that, or at least not this year. I don't think the Ravens should be in a position trying to move on from Lamar. Yes, he has a contract extension coming up, but I mean, why create a problem that's not there? Now, don't get me wrong, if this year happens and they do successfully bring in some wide receivers and then they give him weapons and he still has not shown the growth as a passer as you would have liked to have seen from last year or at least even from the MVP season, then I think that is when you really have to ask the questions of where can we go with Lamar. But for right now, it's difficult to really get on him too much because look at some of the things he's had to deal with over the last few years. He has not had a true number one wide receiver. His offensive line completely failed him last year, and so, especially in the playoffs. So I feel like Baltimore has done a nice job of trying to get their offensive line together. Sure, they still need to bring in another offensive tackle, of course, after trading Orlando Brown. But I feel like if we're able to bring in a wide receiver who can produce and we see things like, for example, if we were to trade for Julio, which we'll get to later, or if we get a Terrace Marshall, Rashad Bateman, and I feel like we're probably going to double dip at the position as well, and we get our offensive line there. But if we keep seeing the same problems as we do on a year-in and year-out basis, then I think that's when you have those conversations. But for right now, I don't think it makes sense to create a problem that's not there. But all right, let's go ahead and keep with the draft. Let's talk to Saints, who actually put – pick right after the Baltimore Ravens. But apparently there is some draft buzz rolling around that they are looking to trade up and not just trade up any kind of way. They're One report is saying they're trying to trade up into the top 10 picks and in other sources they're saying they're trying to trade up to get cornerback Caleb Farley. So which one do you think is more realistic? The fact that they want to be in the top 10 or that they want to trade up to get a corner? Uh, I would say the corner, given the fact that they they lost to Lewis Jenkins, um, and their secondary like their secondary really hasn't been that great. Like I know they have Marshawn Lattimore, but honestly, Marshawn Lattimore he he's good, but he also he isn't great. Like he has moments where he can get. Picked on. All right. Unless it's against Mike Evans, because he always yeah, plays great against Mike Evans. Like, whenever he plays Mike Evans, he turns into the best corner in the league. But every other receiver, he can get he can get the work, depending on the receiver. So, I, I would be – because the honest, the reality of it is if they try to trade for the top ten, they're trading up to get a quarterback. And being real, like, the quarterback is worth, is worth trying to trade up for. Are you going to get in a spot where you can actually take them? Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, I'm in agreement with you about getting a corner. Um, I kind of talked about it in the mock draft, but I mean, not just because losing Janoris Jenkins was tough, but I mean, here's the thing about Marshawn Lattimore. He's trying to get a contract extension coming up. He recently was arrested this offseason. It's nothing 
uh, affirming that he's going to get jail time or anything, but you still have to have those things in the back of your mind. What if Marshawn Lattimore is not the future? We know that the Saints are in cap hell. What if they cannot financially afford to keep him? And if you look at their roster right now, who would you say their second, who would be their number one corner? Patrick Robinson? And he hasn't been that good either. So I think that it would make a lot of sense for them trying to bring in a corner. The only problem is, they're saying they're talking about potentially trading up, but they have other needs. They're not a team that has holes in all over their roster, but they still need a number two wide receiver after losing Emmanuel Sanders. They could always stand to bring in another offensive lineman, another edge rusher, defensive tackle is another position since Sheldon Rankins and Malcolm Brown are gone. Linebacker. So they have other positions. But because they have a good coaching staff, they should be fine. But I do understand if they were to trade up. I would think that trading up for a cornerback would make a lot more sense than trying to mortgage your future for a top 10 pick, especially unless you absolutely love somebody more than Jameis or Taysom Hill. But all right, continuing. I'm sorry, what were you saying? I was going to add, and also, like, yes, they have holes, but the reality is, like, the holes that they have, you can feel those holes in the later rounds of the draft. Like, you don't have to trade up to the first trade up in the first round to get starting caliber, a starting caliber linebacker or a starting caliber defensive tackle. Like it's numerous of guys in the NFL right now that play those positions that are actually serviceable, good starting caliber players at those positions that came in the second, third, and fourth rounds. Right. No, absolutely. I mean, if every if the only talented players came from day one. We wouldn't have, what, 75% of the best players in the league. So that's that just comes – that's when good scouting and having a good front office comes into play because that's when you're able to build up your roster. It's those later picks that really make or break teams. But, all right, so let's talk about quarterback. I promise we're almost done talking about Jimmy G. But – the 49ers held a press conference earlier uh, this week, and of course, they were asked about Jimmy Garoppolo because no one likes to give straight answers. They were asked if Jimmy Garoppolo would still be on the roster uh, by come Sunday, to which Kyle Shanahan said, I can't guarantee that anybody in the world would be alive on Sunday. In other words, you're not going to get an answer out of him. Not to mention, there's also reports that the Patriots are in play. Other teams could possibly be in play as well for Jimmy G. But do you think that Jimmy Garoppolo is still the quarterback of the San Francisco 49ers when the draft is all said and done? I say no. I say no regardless if he's traded or if he's, if he's still on the roster. Because I feel like they have the third overall pick. They have their pick to draft a quarterback. And either whether it be Justin Fields, Trey Lance, or Matt Jones, when you, once you draft their quarter once you draft a player that high, you're basically committed to that player. Like you might if anything, the only way that he would be a starter is if he starts for at least a season or half of a season, just to let whatever player draft to get acclimated to the offense and to the speed of the NFL. But being honest, I don't see Jimmy G being the quarterback for the 49ers. Honestly, if I were them, I would pull that trigger on that Patriots trade. Because the Patriots are offering up Stephon Gilmore like he a hot plate on Thanksgiving. And if you add Stephon Gilmore to that defense that's already established and you draft a rookie quarterback, they can like 
say you draft a Justin Fields or a Mac Jones, because in my personal opinion, they're the two guys that would be left that would be more capable of being able to produce starting out versus the Trey Lance. Say you draft one of those guys, and they have, you know, the typical rookie season where you throw, like, 20 touchdowns and maybe 10 picks, 10, 15 picks, and you add Stephon Gilmore to that defense, and you still have that run game. You can make it to the – you might come back to the NFC Championship with that. Hear me out, though. How about forget the rookie quarterback and they get Aaron Rodgers and Stephon Gilmore? I mean, hey, shoot for the stars. Do what you. Only reason, the only reason I would be leery of the A Rod thing is because I feel like you would end up giving up some of the pieces that you would need to get to where you want to go. I think that I'll say this. I think that in terms of their roster, how many people would you really say are aren't expendable? Like I think Nick Bosa, Fred Warner. And maybe Trent Williams. But everybody else, I feel like you could lose. And they still have a good amount of cap space enough to be like, all right, well, we can just fill these pictures in with these other picks with veterans after the draft. Like veteran-free agents. So, especially because, let's be honest, Eric, San Francisco is going to be looking like a hot team. So, I think you'd be able to do it. I mean, you could also say maybe Debo. But, let's be honest, the Packers not going to know what to do with Debo. So, if I'm if I'm the 49ers, I think that... I would trade Jimmy G to the four, what to the uh, what's it called? You know what I'm talking about. The uh, Patriots with the swiftness, and then if you could somehow finagle Stephon Gilmore or hell, I would do Stephon Gilmore for Jimmy G straight up. I would do that and be fine. But I think that they are in a nice position to where they can get two really great players and go from a team that was injury riddled and did not reach potential to back to the Super Bowl. But all right, let's go ahead and move on. So usually when it comes to draft prospects, University of Memphis Tigers do not usually get a lot of love, which is unfortunate. I covered the Tigers for three years, and they have some really good players who are going to be entering the draft. So we are going to find homes for quarterback Brady White, running back Kenneth Gainwell, and wide receiver DeMonte Coxey. And if you don't know who any of these cats are, at least – Look them up because you're going to know Kenneth Gainwell when you see him because that boy was bad. He opted, he and Coxy opted out of the 2020 season, but when they played, they were great. And Brady White is the all-time winningest coach, I mean player, in University of Memphis history. So, Ethan, starting with quarterback, what team do you think you could see Brady White going to? Of course, he's going to start off as a backup, but what team could you see making that move? I could honestly, depending on – I know for a fact he's going to be a lower round pick, but I could see a team like the Seattle Seahawks making that move because, wait, no, because they still have Geno, my bad. Um, honestly, I can see the Giants making a move like that. They, unless they fill it up with a veteran in free agency, but it's not that many veteran quarterbacks left. I can see them putting a the trigger on it in the later rounds and maybe having him as a developmental backup quarterback to Daniel Jones because we all know that Daniel Jones isn't he, he's one or two games away from probably being pulled at this point especially now with the weapons that they have in tow so maybe I can see the Giants uh, I can see the Titans doing it 
He and Ryan Tannehill have a very similar game. Essentially, they are great play-action passers. They have a nice deep ball. They can read a field well. And I feel like, of course, I'm not saying I think that he's going to take Ryan Tannehill's job anytime soon, but I think he'd be a nice backup just because their games are so similar. And then also he would have an offense or at least a run game to where he wouldn't have to worry too much about getting the ball out. And, I mean, that's really similar to what Memphis did in his time there. So I think Tennessee would be a nice fit. All right, let's talk Kenneth Gainwell. And this is where I'm going for the Titans because we all know that Derrick Henry is a monster. He's – in my opinion, he's the best pure running back, pure rusher of the running top running backs, where he can pound the ball and drain the game out. But you know, he's not great at, at receiving the ball out of the backfield. And so Kenneth Gainwell, who, and honestly, at Memphis, he was a de facto wide receiver a lot of times. Right. And I know that they drafted Darlington Evans last season, but he had health concerns and he didn't really, when he was on the field, didn't really show the flashes that you would want in a guy that potentially spelled Derrick Henry. Um, McNichols did a better job spelling him, but why not take a chance on Kenneth Gainwell? He, you, you can get him in a later round. And being honest, Memphis has a history of producing good running backs in the NFL. You have D'Angelo Williams. Last year you had Antonio Gibson. Why not continue their trend? And he'll just he'll be playing just up the road. That's facts. Um, I'm going to go the Denver Broncos, assuming they do have a second or third round pick. I mean, Melvin Gordon is a very talented running back, but we saw how well he played with Phillip Lindsay in the backfield as well. Phillip Lindsay is one of the better receiving backs in the backfield. However, now that he's gone, it does leave a hole at running back for them. I think that going to the Broncos, he will be able to showcase his catching ability and, hey, even play some slot receiver for them if need be. I think that no matter who their quarterback is, having Kenneth Gainwell there would also provide a really nice option and provide a a weapon who could eventually, who knows, maybe become their running back of the future if Melvin Gordon does leave the team. But all right, next up, DeMonte Coxie, who in my opinion is one of the most underrated wide receivers of this class. I mean, you can say what you want about the competition in the AAC, but DeMonte Coxie is one of those guys who when he plays, he is a grown man among boys. Where do you think he'd be a nice fit? I'm going to have him going to a grown man team. I'm going to have him going to your Baltimore Ravens. I think I think a lot of people would be looking for them to make a wide receiver play in the earlier rounds, which they could still honestly viably do, but they could also pick him up in that later round. He could be a surprise pick that a lot of people, like you just said, he's one of the more underrated wide receivers in this year's draft. You can add him to their roster and you know, he can make plays. And people be like, who is this guy? And it's like, oh, he's from Memphis. Yes, he sat out this past season. But when he was on the field, he was a grown man. Yeah. No, he was a bad man. All right. For me, I'm going to go with the Miami Dolphins. Now, they are a team who thought they had a grown man in Devontae Parker. And sometimes he does play like it. Occasionally, he will have those moments where he looks like a grown man amongst boys, and other times, he's not really there. Though uh, Coxie is not 6'6", I mean, he's still, what, 6'3", 6'4". He's a taller receiver. He's I don't know if you've seen him in person or, like, up close, but that man is built like a brick, and he's also fast, has really good hands. I think that putting him on that receiving core with a player like Will Fuller who would take over the speed and then having DeMonte as a – um. 
as a possession receiver. I think that could he could prove to be one of the better later round picks or mid round picks of the class, especially if the Dolphins decide not to use one of their first round picks on a wideout. All right, ending draft discussions. Top three bold predictions for this weekend's draft. All right, top three bold predictions. The Jets are actually going to take Justin Fields instead of Zach Wilson. Okay. Um, Najee Harris is going to be in the top 30 of the picks. More specifically, I feel like he's going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. And I I think I'm going to put money on it. I think it's going to be a double reunion of quarterback and receiver. I think that Jamar Chase is going to the Bengals, and I think that one of the Alabama receivers is going to Miami. All right, that'd be a good fit. I like those. All right, so for me, uh, number one, I see Devontae Smith falling out of the top 15. While he is incredibly talented, we all know he is productive. I feel like size does matter in the NFL. And I think that even though there are teams that need wide receivers, if you look at the class of like the defensive end, it's really jumbled. There's not many there to go on. Linebackers as well. I feel like receiver could get a bit lost in the shuffle, especially considering he's not someone that is consistently seen as the top wide receiver. So I can see him falling. Uh, Number two, I say that the Minnesota Vikings add a quarterback on day two. Reports have been coming out this week that they wanted to trade up into the top ten, but the asking prices of teams were a bit too high for them, so they decided to stand pat at 14. But let's be honest, even though the numbers overall look good for Kirk Cousins, the wins aren't there. The productivity isn't there. You're not sure if he can take this talented roster to the playoffs. So I could see them looking to move on from him. And then number one, Aaron Rodgers is traded to the Denver Broncos. Say Broncos, one, because they have more picks than the 49ers, and I feel like they are more desperate than the 49ers are. But all right, speaking of Broncos, Drew Locke versus Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater was traded to the team earlier this week for a six-round pick, so essentially not much. Based off of those two quarterbacks, who do you think you would trust with your starting quarterback job week one? My money is going with Teddy Two Gloves now, ten times out of ten. And the only reason I and the reason I say this is because outside like when he was with the Vikings before he got injured, he was showing a uptick as being a potential star level quarterback. He was making a lot of great plays. But since his injury, he's shown that he's the type of guy that you can put into, and he won't lose you the game. Like, he he's kind of a game manager. He can make a splash play here and there, but he won't make the crucial mistakes that Drew Locke has made, especially last season. Drew Locke is the type of guy where, yes, he has a lot of upside, but he still – he would th- he would be the guy that will throw a crucial pick that you when you need to pick up a, a first down to keep a drive going. Whereas Teddy Bridgewater, he's the type of guy where he will make the he will make the proper read. He's been he's a veteran. He's been in the NFL for uh, I forgot how many years now, but he, you can give him the offense, and he won't he won't be the reason you lose a game. I think that when it comes to this argument of Teddy Bridgewater versus Drew Locke, it it comes down to do you want somebody who tries to do too much? 
but or Teddy Bridgewater who doesn't really do much at all. Like Teddy Bridgewater is very safe. He's not going to truly try to throw the deep ball. He's not going to be that aggressive, which can lose you games. I mean, the Panthers were one of the teams that if they lost the lead in the fourth quarter, they were almost instinctively going to lose the game because they just did not have what it took to come back, which has to be frustrating if you're a quarterback and if you're a head coach trying to support said quarterback. Whereas with Drew Locke, he's going to turn the ball over for you. He's going to commit turnovers. He's going to make bonehead decisions, but he will attempt. And so... Because of those two factors, I think I would go Drew Locke, but it's it's like barely over Teddy. I just you have so many weapons and you just want to get them. You want to use them. It's not like when he was in Carolina, he was hitting uh, DJ Moore or uh, Roddy Anderson on deep balls all the time. Like most of the plays they made were yards after catch. So I would go Drew Luck, if not for any other reason, but at least I know he is going to go out there and do what he can to win the game, even if it's not always the best decision. But all right, closing out the NFL discussion, we literally talked about this just a couple of months ago, but then it seemed to have gotten shut down. But now conversations are up again about Julio Jones potentially being traded uh, Terry Fontenet, new head, I mean, GM of the Atlanta Falcons said this about uh, listening to teams' offers. We have to consider offers for any player if it's right for the team because we have to do what's best for this organization. Now, because of um, cap reasons, if Julio is traded, it won't be until, I want to say, May 1st or June 1st. It'll still be a minute. I think it was June. Yeah, something like that. So it won't be immediate, but that doesn't mean that he would not be traded or would not listen to offers. So do you really think that Julio will be traded? And if so, where does he go? I think, I honestly think he'll be traded because I think now who like the Falcons are in full rebuild mode. And I think that they will look to make moves for the future. And if you trade Julio Jones, you can get a lot of assets for the future because he's still, when healthy, he's still a top five wide receiver. Um, as far as where, selfishly, I want to say the Titans. Uh, but I don't know if John Robinson would make that type of move given the nature of um, – the cap that might be associated with Leo Jones' contract. Yeah. But, uh, honestly, you brought this team up. I can see the Jags making a, a move. Like, they, like they've been known to make splash, splash signings and trades. And like you said, they can get the players, but they just can't keep them. Yeah. And, I mean, hey, what better way to help out your rookie quarterback than give them, like you said, a top five wide receiver? So, I mean, that would be that would be an interesting one. Of course, when I think receivers are Julio, my first thought is, of course, Baltimore is a team. Tennessee is another one as well. I mean, hell, even um, A.J. Brown talked about how great it would be to play with his idol. So, I think that would be a really fun duo to watch. I mean, of course, there are other teams to make note of, the Patriots, the Raiders, the Colts, um, other teams like that. But – I do think Julio will be traded, and I think that it's just 
they're I feel like the Falcons are really just trying to usher in a new era. And at least they have a player like Calvin Ridley, who was their best offensive player last year, so they know that they won't just be completely out to dry without Julio there. So I do think he gets traded in terms of who he gets traded to. I think I think Baltimore could be a position. I think it could kind of be like an NBA trade type thing where the team drafts a player, but they know that they're going to the other team. Like it may technically be under Baltimore, but it could be sent to um, Atlanta. It could be who they actually wanted to get. They could do that with one of their draft picks. That will make a lot of sense. The only thing about the Jags is, well, unless they're looking into next year's draft, I mean, what are you giving up? Like, you can't, you're not giving up the number one overall pick. And if I'm, if I'm the Falcons, I'm not taking anything less than a one for Julio. I mean, of course not. He's he's one of the best receivers in the league. Not happening. But all right, let's talk NBA. What are your top three takeaways from this past week of action? Top three takeaways are give Russell Westbrook his flowers. That's number one. Okay. Uh, this. I know I've had a lot of Russell Westbrook slander, but I also can say, like, even though I slandered him for certain reasons, the reason I I talked bad about him were very present, but I also respect him, and I also think he is a great player. Um, Number two, this Western Conference, this AC, this play-in tournament, it's looking crazy. Like, the... Portland Trailblazers, in my personal opinion, they underachieved this season. I know that they had injuries, some significant injuries, but it's like this is the second year where they're basically fighting at the end of the season to be in the play-in tournament. Uh, you have the Grizzlies, you have the Mavs, you have the Spurs. So those are some interesting – and you have the Warriors, I'm sorry. So those could be some potentially interesting matchups. And honestly, number – the last pick, the last topic is another guy that deserves his flowers is Chris Paul. Like, if you watch the end of this Suns and Knicks game, you see why Chris Paul is the guy that goes to teams and, and makes their record significantly better. Like, those last couple of shots that he made at the end of the game, they were beautiful. They were amazing. I feel that, which I'll get to Chris Paul in a second. But, all right, let's talk our Mamba players of the week out of the East. This was kind of tough for me. I almost – I was pretty much stuck between Julius Randle, Giannis, and Jimmy Butler. But I think I'm going to – I'm going to go Jimmy. Reason I'm going with Jimmy is he called out his team. He said that they were playing like they were soft. And one thing about Jimmy Butler is he is not soft, and he has not been playing soft, especially over this last week of games. He wants to make the playoffs. And even though I feel like, of course, the Heat organization may prefer to just have a spot locked in, he's Jimmy Butler is the type of player he wants that fight. He wants that competition. He wants his team to earn everything that they get, and they are starting to do that with Jimmy on tow. So I'm going to go Jimmy out of the East. Uh, for me, I got to go Julius Randle. He was the best player on the the hottest team for the time being. And in each of those games that they won, he was a major contributor. Yeah, it was tough going against him. All right, now you mentioned him just a second ago, but my Western Mamba player of the week is Chris Paul. 
I mean, one thing about Kobe Bryant is he showed up in the big games. He showed up when it mattered, and Chris Paul has been doing the same thing. Like you said, just in the games, when it gets close towards the end, he's taking those smart shots. He's putting his team in a position to win. I mean, hell, they just clinched a playoff berth, something that has not happened since, I believe, 2010. And that is because of his impact and just how intelligent of a player he is. I don't, even though in terms of storyline, he would make a hell of an MVP. I don't know if I'd go there yet, but he's definitely my Mamba of the week. Yeah, I got to go CP2 for everything that you just stated. And in my personal opinion, Chris Paul deserves to be in the MVP conversation. I don't think he should win the award, but I think he deserves in the conversation and um it was something that i read on facebook earlier today whereas why people don't talk about the things that cp is doing obviously i know why but people don't talk about the things that cp is doing in year 16 that they do that lebron's doing in year 17 obviously the obvious answer is it's because lebron is lebron yeah but chris paul like for what he's doing in year 16 he deserves his flowers too Controversial opinion, he deserves to be in the MVP race more than Steph Curry. I I feel that way. Because in terms of being the most valuable player, he has yeah. been that. Like, would, while Steph... Could, I'm sorry, what would you say? I was going to say, I, I would say it could be tip for check. Yeah, like, even though, like, don't get me wrong. The Warriors are in games because of Steph Curry, but then they have games like the Mavs game when they get blown out even though Steph is playing. And so, whereas with Chris Paul, he comes in and immediately made the Suns a better player. And, of course, he's not doing it by himself. But I do think that in terms of what it means to be the most valuable player, he looks like the most valuable player in Phoenix this season. So, I would say that. But, all right, Mamba Rookie of the Week. Finally, we get a little bit of diversity. I am going Tyrese Halliburton, guard for the Kings. He has just been seeing his role um, expand a bit. Uh, back to back, four straight games with double digits points. Even dropped a double-double against the Mavericks on the 26th. It looks like he's really been able to come into his own, and I'm excited to see what more he can do. Yeah, I'm going with Tyrese Halliburton also for the same reason. All right, let's go ahead and look at that playoff picture in the NBA because, like you said, I mean, it's about 10 games left. Things are getting pretty wild. Out the East, oh, gosh, the East, <laughs> the Nets in 76 have, have already locked up their playoff spots, which leaves the Bucks at three, Knicks at four, Hawks at five, Celtics at six, Heat at seven, Hornets at eight, Pacers at nine, and Wizards at ten. Out the West, we've seen that the Jazz and the Suns have both locked up their spots with the Clippers at three, uh, Nuggets at four, five for the Lakers, six Mavs, seven Trailblazers, eight uh, Grizzlies, nine Spurs, and ten Warriors. So based off the current playoff picture, anything sticking out at you? Uh, Just the bottom halves of the races because – the Hornets, they're an interesting team. They're about to get LaMelo Ball back in. We know that when he's on the court, he's an exciting player, and he provides the energy to that team that they didn't, that they didn't have when he was on the court. Um, you know, he might be there the seventh seed, right? Uh, yes. So they will, be, they will also be included in the play-in scenario. And in my opinion, if it, 
if they are going to be in the play-in scenario, that's who my money's going to be on. Mm-hmm. Because they're the team that most tested. They have Jimmy Butler. Like like you stated earlier, they have Bam Adebayo. And they also have a lot of good pieces surrounding those guys. As far as the West, similar the Grizzlies, the um, the um, Warriors, the Spurs, and the Mavs. Actually, no, I'm sorry. It's Mavs, Mavs, Warriors, Spurs, and Grizzlies, and Trailblazers. And, like, that's going to be an interesting matchup because you have a team like the Grizzlies is who now is one of, is, if I'm not mistaken, the youngest team in the NBA. But they have a lot of exciting players. They have John Murray, they have Jan Jackson, they have a guy who I have a love-hate relationship with and Dylan Brooks. Then you have a team like the Warriors who basically is carried by Steph Curry who has to go supernova every night. And then you have a team like the Spurs who's sleeping under the radar. And people, it's just a well-coached team. Greg Popovich made the trade for the Warriors always before he retired. And I think that once he made the trade, the Spurs were able to find their footing and finally figure out what type of team that they wanted to be. And you have the Mavericks who in my personal opinion, out of the teams, they have the second best player on the teams in yeah. Luka. And whenever you have a player of Luka's caliber, you're always in position to win games. I feel that. I'm happy you actually mentioned the Spurs because let's talk about DeMar, who signed his free agent tender and is officially on his last year with the Spurs, uh, barring a new contract getting done. But word on the street is apparently he wants to go back to the East um, after his time in San Antonio is over. So let's say he does make that move back to the East. What team do you think would be the best fit? Uh, Being honest, obvious pick for me would be the Raptors. Mm-hmm. Not just for where I feel like they could use they could use a veteran leadership presence that he provides. But being real, the Knicks, like, they have Julius Randle in tow. And the thing, the difference between pairing up DeMar DeRozan with Julius Randle is the Julius Randle can shoot the three. That's something that on um, LaMarcus Aldridge, he struggled with. Like, he would have moments where he would get hot. But overall, he was a mid-range shooter. Like, yes, Julius Randle does his work in the mid-range and in the post also. But he has the, he, he's a more competent shooter, which can still give DeMar the space that he needs to um, work in that offense. And he's also the type of guy that I feel like he can handle being coached by Tom Thibodeau. Yeah. Because of his person. And plus, let's be honest, if you can get along with Pop, you can work with Pop. I think you can work with almost any coach who, you know, isn't a complete asshole. But, yeah, no, I think that I'm in agreement with you about the Knicks. I mean, let's be honest, we always hear that the Knicks are interested in a free agent of caliber. Like, it's every year we hear that. But this is a time that it would make a lot of sense. I feel like he would be provide a good, tough offense option for toughness I think that he will provide another veteran presence and just more scoring his game has truly evolved as his career has gone on and I think that his evolution would prepare really well with what the Knicks are trying to be and what they've done this year I mean RJ Barrett has been fine but I feel like if you put DeMar DeRozan on the court in place of him or as well I think that it could really help RJ Barrett's game evolve because I mean he'd be able to learn from a really good 
a really good mentor and a great player. But all right, speaking of the Knicks, um, in a recent interview, Derrick Rose talked about his team, and he said that us and the Nets are the super team. So do you really see the New York Knicks as a super team in 2021? I'm sorry, D. Rose. I'm a huge fan of yours. I love you when you play for the Memphis Tigers. But no, you guys are not a super team. You guys are a well-coached team. Who's that- overachieving. Yeah, I was going to say that in a lot of cases, in a lot of people's mind, are overachieving, but you're not a super team. Yeah, of course not. I mean, if this was Derrick Rose of 2010, 2011, and you just got everybody in their prime, yeah, sure. But this is, I'm not going to compare Julius Randle, D. Rose now, of course, and R.J. Barrett to, like, KD or... Uh, Kyrie or like Harden it's not it's not the same thing y'all have been playing well shout out to y'all for being the fourth seed that is great but no it's a hard no for me as far as y'all being a super team but speaking of super teams Dr. J aka Julius Irvin one of the all-time greats the NBA has ever seen uh was on the posted up podcast and gave his top to uh his best teams first team and all teams so first team was oscar robinson jerry west elgin baylor bill russell and will chamberlain his second team was magic johnson michael jordan larry bird carl malone and kareem abdul jabbar when asked why lebron didn't make his top two teams he said he's the guy who led the charge of super teams do you really hold too much stock in Dr. J's list, or do you think that it matters that he didn't have LeBron there? First off, his list is trash because he don't got Kobe on it. Honestly, how I look, I don't take offense to it because it's like the era that Dr. J played in. Of course, you're gonna he's going to get priority to the players that he played with or like grew up watching. So that's the biggest reason why I'm like, I disagree with it. Like, I'm sorry. I'm not putting Elgin or Jerry, or Oscar Robert, a lot of people, over Kobe. But still, like, it's just the era that he played in. And then, of course, people want to pull the, oh, LeBron did super teams, blah, blah, whatever. If that's the reason you want to give, just say you you don't have any player. The youngest player on that team is Michael Jordan. So that's why it's like, I, I don't hold too much stock in it just because it's clear he's not really focusing in on newer basketball players. He's focused on a certain generation or at least generation and a half that's true that's very true so no nah, i'm not really i don't think it's that big of a deal i mean if we being honest it's his opinion and let's be honest in terms of the opinions of nba greats very few people are asking dr j what he thinks true so it's just like who cares but i, I meant to put this on the um the outlet the outline, but uh, speaking of greats, Charles Oakley calls Zion Williamson a watered-down version of Julius Randle. <laughs> that actually happened. Do you agree or disagree with that? I totally disagree. I think it's actually really funny that he said that, but he he's supporting his guy. Do you agree or disagree? I disagree because their games are completely different. Like, yes, they both have the bully ball aspect of their games, but Julius Randle is a far greater shooter than Zion. Yeah. 
put the put the trust of the organization in Julius Randle's hands. Whereas the Pelicans, at times they do that, but at times they don't. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then I think, kind of looking back at the players, this is the first time that we're really seeing uh, Julius Randle reach his potential. Because he is was a player who was supposed to already be here, you know. He was supposed to be one of those guys who came out of Kentucky and just immediately dominated. But, however, that has not happened. He has not – it took a while for him to really get accustomed. And like you said, he and Zion played two completely different styles of the game. But, I mean, Zion pretty much came out of the gate and was saying that – and has been a good player. I mean, the quote – officially was I think Randall is a better version of Zion he can do a lot more Zion just has a lot of hype around him I think the latter in the playoffs will find a wall in front of himself like the Greek freak so I disagree with that but I just think that also it's a matter of proximity he lives in New York he spends a lot of time around the Knicks this is the first time the Knicks really have done stuff worth talking about so I do feel like that's really what plays into like kind of like the Dr. J thing but all right, let's get to a couple of mini debates before we close out the show. So starting with Russell Westbrook, because of one of your takeaways, I feel like I already know your answer. But in a recent press conference, he said, there is no player like myself. And if people want to take it for granted, sorry for them. Do you feel like fans are taking Brody for granted? Yeah, they are. Like people, people are so fixated on the things that he can't do. Or even the things that he is doing, which is getting triple doubles and the way that he's getting them. Like, the thing of it is, getting a triple double, regardless if you're trying to stat pad or not, is difficult. Right. So just let this man be great. Because the thing of it is, is the reason he's getting triple doubles and things of that nature is because he's just playing hard. He's playing to the It's finals. effort. And yeah, so let this man be great. Let, he might not ever win a championship. But he can go down as, honestly, in my opinion, the guy that's going to break Oscar Robertson's record that nobody thought would be broken. Yeah, which I do think is going to happen. I mean, I feel like we talk about rebounding as, like, the ultimate effort effort stat. But just imagine how much it takes to get this many triple doubles in a game. Not Well, not even just a game, but in a season. Because, let's be honest, this means that a lot of other things that you can't control have to go right. To get an assist, your teammates got to make, they got to score. To rebound, you got to get there before everybody else, which is difficult to do as a guard. And then, of course, with shooting, you got to make sure your shots are going in. And so I think that, like you said, fans give... Russ a lot of crap, and I think it's just because of the other point guards in the league, the ones who are just better shooters and who are just more explosive and fiery in terms of, like, putting up huge scoring outlets like a Dame or a Steph Curry. Like, those guys are what fans like to see, especially casual fans. That's what makes basketball fun for them. And so a player like Russell Westbrook, who isn't the best shooter, a good defensive player, but, like, just gets the ugly stats – that's not something that they like, and it's not as quote-unquote fun for them. And so, yeah, I agree. I do think they take Russ for granted, but it's cool because Russ is my dog, so I will enjoy Russell Westbrook for everybody else if nobody wants to. But all right, let's talk about another UCLA Bruin, Kevin Love, who over the last few years has just really been 
really been a mixed bag, but he said this in a recent interview, when I'm available and playing at a high level, I feel like I could be that guy that pushes the team really over the edge and puts them into contention. Do you agree that Kevin Love is still a difference maker? is a, the right team for him? Um, if he didn't have the astronomical contract, I could say the Warriors. I think that'd be a good fit as well. I think that'd be a really good fit too. But yeah, I mean, it's... Yeah, I agree too. It's like a, a, an extent. I don't think he could be a top a team's top option or top really top three option. I feel like he would have to come in and be more so of a compliment in order for him to really be that successful. But it also you kind of have to deal with the on-court on antics and just trying to make sure his head is in the game. Because it's one thing to be a great basketball player and be able to do things like that, but if your head is not in the game and you're not giving your all to the game, you can't really help anybody. And I think that that's been a question that's really been plaguing him since he's been in Cleveland. And you can make the argument he's playing for a bad Cleveland team. They're not playing for anything. But still, you would like one of your top guys, arguably – your top three player to put forth that effort in the play like he wants to be there. So, like I said, I I think it depends on the situation, like you said, but I think that the Warriors, especially a healthy Warriors team with Clay, of course, Steph, James Wiseman, when he gets back, I think that that could be a situation that could be a good fit. But, all right, we always talk about the ring argument. Whenever it comes any sport, Tom Brady must be the GOAT because he has all the rings. Michael Jordan has more rings than Kobe and LeBron. He has to be one of the greatest, even though everybody seems to forget about two players at least who have more rings than Michael Jordan. Bill Russell, who has 11, and Robert Horry, who has seven. The differences between those two players is Robert Horry is not in the Hall of Fame and probably won't be. But he said this of potentially making the Hall of Fame. He said... If the Hall of Fame comes calling one day, I'll be proud. If it doesn't, so be it. I know one thing. Half those guys in there don't have what I have, and that's seven rings. Do you think Robert Horry deserves to be in the Hall of Fame? No. He was a great role player, but no. Yeah, I agree. He benefited from where he was. There was never an instance where Robert Horry was the best player on his team like, for example, Derek Fisher. Derek Fisher was a great role player. Was he the reason why the Lakers won championships? No, it was Kobe and Shaq. And then fast forward, it was Kobe and Powell. It was Phil Jackson. So, no, I don't think he should be in the Hall of Fame either. But, I mean, he does. He's got seven rings, and that's more than a lot of people can say. So, And nobody can ever take that away from him. All right, last piece. John Wall is expected to miss the remainder of the season due to a hamstring injury. Unfortunately, injuries have plagued John Wall pretty much his whole career. Do you think that John Wall is done as far as being considered 
a productive and difference maker or do you think he still has a chance? I think he's done. I think he'll show a couple flashes here and there, but he's too prone to injury. Yeah. So I think it's over. I think so too. I mean, we talk about it a lot, but the best ability any player can have is availability. And if you can't be available, you're not helping out your organization. When the trade initially happened between him and Russell Westbrook, I think we both agreed that it was kind of just like a wash. But now Russ is helping the Wizards be in playoff contention. John Wall, the team went on a, what, 20-game losing streak, and now he's out for the season. He's not that same player who commands the same respect or the same accolades or even the defensive attention because, unfortunately, the injuries have really stopped him from being effective, and even when he has played, he just doesn't have that same explosiveness that he had in his earlier season. So, yeah, I think he's done too. But, all right, let's make game predictions for tonight, April 29th, 2021. All right, a couple games are already in process, such as the Dallas Mavericks versus the Detroit Pistons. Pistons are up 15-13, 7-54 left in the first, but I still got Mavs pulling it out. Yeah, I got Mavs. All right, Brooklyn Nets and the Indiana Pacers are playing right now. 7-11 left in the first. Nets are up 14-12. Well, 16-12 now. I got Nets. I got Nets. Golden State Warriors taking on the Minnesota Timberwolves. I got Warriors. Uh, I got Timberwolves. Milwaukee Bucks versus the Houston Rockets. I got Bucks. I got Bucks. Toronto Raptors versus the Denver Nuggets. I could, part of me wants to go on the upset alert, but I think I'm going to go Nuggets. I got Nuggets. All right, last game, New Orleans Pelicans versus the Oklahoma City Thunder. I got Thunder. I got Pelicans. All right, that is our show. Thank you guys so much for uh, listening. As always, please should check out the export.net. I repeat, the export.net for school sports content written by yours, Chilean Felt Export Writers. We still got about half an hour before the draft starts, so be sure to check out my final mock draft. Uh, Ethan, you got anything you want to say before we close this bad boy out? Go Titans, drive the corner, and uh, trade That's all we want in the world. Thank you guys so much for listening, and we'll see you all next time.